1: were you able to share this to friends and and have support there from them?
2: Yes, but unfortunately I did an awful job of asking for help, Adam.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My friend- so, uh... So this is really good though, like how do men do that? How can we say, I need help?
0: Dear young married couple, you know you have a calling on your life and you've responded to that call of God You're leading, you're serving, and you're doing what you feel called to do, but you're not okay.
1: You could be feeling stressed. You could be feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're ridden with anxiety or depression. You're wondering, what do I do about this?
0: And this is the exact position that Pastor Jathan Maricelli found himself in. He's the senior pastor of a church in Louisiana, and he was asking himself in this position, do I, take a sabbatical? Do I keep leading and trying to go even though I'm in this really dark place? Do I just quit? What do I do? And in today's episode, he tells us how he answered that question and what he decided to do.
1: So before we go to the interview, we want to let you know if you're in this position, this opportunity that's coming up very soon could be something that you would be interested in.
0: We are holding an adventure and intimacy retreat right here in Sacramento, California, our hometown, and we would love to have you at this retreat. The deadline to register is May 15th, so that's only a few days away, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, We're going to have a really good time, but we're also going to dig deeply for leaders who want to really connect with each other husband-and-wife leadership team to connect with each other in their intimacy.
1: Yes. We're all about at DYMC, helping you get tools and connecting people and really giving you the resources so you can become your best self. So sign up. It's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to seeing you there.
0: Welcome Pastor Jathan Marcelli to the podcast. Thanks for being with us today.
2: Welcome. It's great to be here, Adam and Carissa.
0: Well, we're looking forward to hearing not only your story, but some really powerful wisdom that came from your story um, that you have to share with the leaders who are listening. So folks, this is for you. If you are a leader, you're in ministry, um, you're working hard in the kingdom, tune in.
1: Just people living busy lives need to listen to this.
0: Seriously. Yeah. So let's rewind back to the beginning of your story, wherever you want to start. That makes sense for you. And tell us, um, tell us where this all began, this concept of um, knowing what's on your plate and how much needs to be on your plate.
3: Yeah.
2: You ever been in one of those altar services where you just, you get the call of God and God, just the preacher preaches and dangles you all over hell you got to reach the lost and, you know, we got to reach the world and Mm -hmm. that is a wonderful moment. And, you know, I, am being a little facetious, but it truly (laughs) is a great moment to respond to God calling you to do great things.
0: Yeah. What they
2: don't tell you is that, uh, there also is, is a journey that, that if you're not careful can end in great disaster, uh, despite the fact that you were not out of the will of God, you were following the call of God. And my mm-hmm. wife and I went to plant the church and it was fantastic Okay. until it wasn't. And mm. we had lots of complexity that piled up in our lives. We started having kids. Great.
3: Whee! And then
2: <laughs> we had three and one got epilepsy. And then we had a fourth ah, and mm. the church started going downhill a little bit and struggling. Insurance went up. I went to got a second job and, uh, mm. you know, so on and so forth. And all yeah. of that call of God turned into all of a sudden I started having these dark moods. I couldn't get out of, I didn't know mm. it, but I was battling depression. And, uh, so I, seven, uh, seven and a half years into the church plant, we resigned because I was an absolute wreck and battling mm. depression and, mm.
0: What did what did that look like? You you say battling depression. What did absolute wreck look like?
2: Well, uh, my wife was worried I was gonna hurt myself. I I never contemplated suicide, but I, I oh. couldn't, I, I would on the way to church, I would be, I would just have this dark cloud uh, of depression. Oh. I would have to go to church because but I'd, I'd go home from work and shut the door, turn the lights off in the bedroom. And mm-hmm. if you know me, that's not like me. And, and mm-hmm. I, I just had no motivation to do anything. I couldn't,
3: oh. just
2: trying to get away from that horrible hurt inside. You can't get to it. Like yeah. you can't do anything to get to it. And mm-hmm. so what do you do? You kind of get in a fetal position or protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to go preach in an hour. Or so, mm-hmm. um, follow me in the car uh, and I'd get into the church and see all the people and it would lift because I would begin ministering to people, okay. preach, uh, also play the guitar, sing and everything else because I was uh-huh. a church planter. Right. Um, and <laughs> when it was over and I would lock up and when I would start walking toward the car, here comes that black cloud of depression and it would engulf me again. And I did that probably for a year. Uh, And I came home one day and told my wife, better men than me have done worse things, have fallen, and I cannot do this anymore. I've got to go home and get well.
3: Wow. (laughs) And she
2: agreed. So that was was seven and a half years into church planting, and that was about five years ago. So, so grateful. Wow. However, that God didn't miss it on his calling. Uh, way back when in that altar where God mm-hmm. called me to something great. And he didn't miss it for you today either, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. However, uh, we would all do well to um, look inside and press pause and let God transform us. Because oftentimes God, when God calls us to do something great, we're not we don't have enough in us to accomplish it yet.
3: And mm-hmm. sometimes
2: the pain and the suffering is what he uses to help us to level up to the complexity that he's calling us
1: to.
3: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
1: I love how, how uh, actually uh, C.S. Lewis says that pain is God's megaphone to reach a dying world. Mm. Wow. In, in a way, I think that's sometimes a way of getting our attention to something that's really important.
3: Mm-hmm. So life
1: with, without pain is actually really dangerous. Yeah. Yes. How did, so, so depression was one of those indicators for you now I'm sure that your, um, that your antenna is up with other ministry and the people that you r- r- rub shoulders with. How else does this idea of burnout, um, show up in people's lives?
2: Well, the World Health Organization, uh, classifies burnout as, uh, Feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, uh, increased mental distance from one's job, or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and reduced professional efficacy. Okay, so let's take that in a ministry context. And I experienced all of these. Okay. Feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion. I'd be honest with you, we had an amazing revival this past weekend. I have had a temporary feeling of energy depletion and exhaustion monday, tuesday and wednesday. All right? <laughs> that is part of pastoring. I've got four kids, one of them special needs. That's part yep. of life. Yeah. Prolonged, however, you just can't get back renewed. When you when you're starting to get burned out, the things that used to renew you, uh for example with me, uh you know, I I live in a neighborhood, it's all a beautiful. Uh, I've got some, like a lake, you know, I I go play golf, go play basketball, something that can renew me, mm-hmm. um, if, if if all of a sudden those things aren't even touching it. I remember one time mm-hmm. I went to like a, a conference in, in Louisiana district, and I knew I was going to see my friends. And usually that would just fill me right up because I get to be around my friends and it just, yeah uh, in a church setting, didn't even touch it. I went home just as exhausted as I was before. So I would say the first thing is that if you just can't get renewed, uh, pay attention. Uh, something yeah. something is going on there.
3: That's, That's the good. good. Yeah.
0: Okay. Prolonged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what
2: are the what are the other signs? Increased mental distance from one's job. <laughs> yeah, Our what is that? Cynicism mean? related to one's job. Okay. Now now we're starting to get a different level. Because if you put this in a ministry context, listen, I, I also taught school for eight years. By the way, I, by vocationally doing that, teaching school and pastoring was not a good idea. Uh, in hindsight, it was taken from the same source emotionally.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but I, I, I got cynical toward the educational system because of uh, you know, the way that it's run. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But when you get mental distance from the ministry, now you got a problem
3: mm-hmm. because
2: you're supposed to be connecting with people. You're right. supposed to be bringing these people's needs before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yes, the ones that drive you nuts. Yes, the people <laughs> that keep on. But you're you're supposed to be, you know, bringing them compassionately before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get mental distance from that, you begin to just kind of cut people off, and the prayer ethic. And having compassion for people is, is not there. Uh, what about your preaching? You're, you, when you preach, you're supposed to really pray and fast and get a word from God and study right. it out and, and, and communicate in a fresh way. Mm. Well, when you're burned out, you begin to preach from your talent, your ability, and your know-how. Um, that is a problem because yeah. you can do it if you've been doing it long enough. Mm-hmm. But eventually when you do this, you, and I don't mind telling you, I lost my way with God. I wouldn't say I backslid and I didn't fall into some kind of moral abyss, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm so grateful for by the grace of God. But let me tell you something. I lost my way with God mm-hmm. because I, I was, I was operating on what I knew to do because i raising a pastor's home. I preached, sure. I, I knew people, yeah. but burnout will steal your energy. And if you develop the the, the cynicism, uh, you will begin to take shortcuts that are, that will ruin you spiritually. Yeah. And the third one is the reduced professional efficacy. Then you just start doing a bad job. You're mm. not doing justice to your church. Yeah. At some point when I resigned, I, I came home to tell my wife, there's a story where um, the church... Uh, we were looking to buy a new building and we put an offer in on it. And I remember being so the church was so disappointed when they rejected our offer. And I was so excited. No. I was so happy that they didn't accept the offer because <laughs> I've got to yeah. try to find a way to pay for it. I've got to, you know, we got to work to, I knew how much work it would be to fill the building up. Sure. And I realized right then I am not leading at mm. all. I'm mm. not my professional advocacy is gone. And mm. um you know, I, I, it, you can take a break and get renewed and do that. But I had, like I say, I had been operating on total burnout for about a year and I was past the point of no return to where Mm -hmm. to save my ministry, my relationship with God and my family that, that I had to resign. And I don't recommend everybody resign, but for me, it was the right answer.
3: Yeah,
1: I love that. Some of those clues, like being out of touch with the people, it's like mm. when you're when your empathy, you you have no more empathy to give. It's just gone, and you're just like, "You dummy, stop doing that!"
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow, yes.
1: wow. So what what was the trigger for you to just say, um, "I need to to step back and resign"? Well, I mean that must have been a pretty momentous decision and realization. required
0: humility too. Yeah, sure
1: did. I
2: definitely don't want to pin roses on the humility uh, uh, of of me at this point. I was raised in a pastor's home, and I had seen men fall, um, and my grandfather was one of them.
3: Mm. And
2: but it's it's the the my grandfather, you know, his might have been a little more predictable because he, he he had some behaviors that. You know, you could look and say, "Well, you know, hey, might have seen that coming a little bit," and you yeah. certainly don't want to try to predict someone falling. But man, it's the ones that you like. Mm. I did not see that coming at sure.
3: all. Sure. Yeah. That
2: that give you a um, uh, you know, that that really sober you. And I had had that in my background. And I was at school in my planning period reading a book called "Dangerous Calling." <laughs> Okay, And I just read through there and I got about halfway through it and I quit. And I said, I said, I I am playing with fire and I'm not going to be one of those people if I can help it, that Mm -hmm. it took a great fall for them to holler and say, I need help. I need help. Because when do you know that you've gone too far?
3: Right,
2: and, and I, I was like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm too far now, I, I know that I haven't fallen morally, but man, when do you go too far to where you, you're just gonna fall morally, and it's gonna take you crashing and burning, mm-hmm. not that God can't restore, but I've right. seen the carnage of that, and yes. I came home to my wife and said, all right, we we can still dig our way out of this, but
3: mm.
2: I fear that it is going to take me resigning and at that point, she had lost six inches of her hair. It had fallen out.
3: Wow. And
2: she was struggling so badly. And once again, my son was really bad, epileptic at that mm-hmm. time. And so it was very painful to leave the church we founded. But we right. that was that was the that was the moment that kind of changed everything for us. And it was hard. It was resigning is no silver bullet. But when I look back, man, I'm so grateful that wow. yep. God led us to do that.
0: That's amazing. And I want to hear the rest of the story, but can we pause here? And for those who are listening and they're like, oh, I think i am finding myself in a similar position. I feel maxed. I don't know how far is too far. Um, What would be maybe uh, any indication or symptoms that you could describe as being in the category of you actually need to resign versus maybe they need a sabbatical?
2: that is a great question. I I went to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I would say for, for me, it, I could not handle the thought of taking a couple weeks off and coming back and leading a church. Mm. And I knew it. Yeah. I knew what it required. And I knew short of an extended absence, maybe a year sabbatical could have done it, but, but I knew what it took to pastor Mm -hmm. and I knew I cannot run back into the fray Mm -hmm. without a lot of transformation here. And that wasn't always the case. Mm
3: -hmm. There were
2: times if I had, if I had taken care of myself better, Hey, maybe a month or so, or or maybe a couple of weeks or however long it takes. Sure. And I could have seen myself, but at this time point in time, Adam and Carissa, I had lost total confidence in my calling. Mm. And that's, that's a level where <laughs> you, you might want to consider living to fight another day as my good friend, Donovan Hill told me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what it came to for me. If you're in the yeah. live to fight another day, you, you, you might need to do so. On the yeah. other hand, if if you are not too deep into this, uh, I, I would recommend, uh, yeah, taking some kind of break and talking with your church about it because, um, those are yeah. definitely two different routes And so you don't have to go as far as I did.
0: Sure.
1: Wow. Yeah. So was that good friend, a part of your accountability or? were you able to share this to friends and and have support there from
3: them?
2: Yes. But unfortunately I did an awful job of asking
1: for help, Adam. (laughs) Uh, My friend. So so this is really good though. Like how do men do that? How can we say I need help? Well, you can burn out and crash and burn to realize
2: that (laughs) if you don't ask for help, you're going to lose everything. And then you can get really good at it. Mm. Um, I I, my my friend had had done this before and he went uh several states away, pastor to church. He he struggled with burnout and he resigned. And I had a relationship with him and I knew he had gone down this avenue. So I asked, I called him. Short of that, I I did. I was surrounded by people, Adam so that would have helped me.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Oh man, I am so blessed with friends, they're so supportive and ministers. Mm -hmm. I just kept going down. Mm-hmm. And I would not say, hey, I'm struggling here. Hey, listen, ah. I am I'm, I'm I'm going down. And I, mm-hmm. I found that the presence and the proximity of help does not guarantee you help.
0: Because hmm. <laughs> you had available help, but you didn't yeah. take advantage of it. At the time, did you think that was? like a matter of faith. Like, I'm just going to trust God. It's going to get better. He takes the dark cloud off when I get to church. Like, what was that about at the time? I was going to
1: say, what nah, was the lie was that
3: you were telling yourself? Okay. Yeah.
2: No. <laughs> it was pride. It was arrogance. It was, it, it, all, it you know, it's fallenness in me that mm-hmm. I am gonna do this, and I am gonna get credit for having done this. Mm. And I, I left my dad's church. My dad's a pastor, and I prided myself too much in mm. the fact that I didn't stay there when the safety of my father's covering. But I went out and started a church. And I went to Chicago first, and then I went to, uh, you know, North Louisiana, and nobody handed me anything, and and I I did it, and mm. then. When things started going badly, I was determined to do it. And it once again, it's part of my own brokenness and and the way mm. that I'm wired that conspired against me. And then I just got mad at everybody for not helping me. Mm. Despite the fact that I would not ask them for help.
3: <laughs> so
2: I started to get angry with people for not helping me, people for not interpreting my emotions. And let me just pause and say if you're gonna ask for help, you cannot depend on people to interpret where you are. Uh, so you good. have to articulate and yes. as much as it hurts you to say i need help will you help me please
3: yeah
2: for people like me i would rather be dragged by horses and you know uh than to say um i'm incomplete i'm not self sufficient will you help me please and um, just pause and say, you, you've got to do that. Now, if you're codependent and that's not asking for help, you're codependent and you need to work on that. (laughs) Or, you know, if, if if you're doing blame gaming and you're blaming everybody else, you know, and dropping all kinds of passive aggressive comments, that's, that's not asking for help. Asking for help, however, is, is you, um, activating your dignity of choice, which, which God gave you, Mm-hmm. To to reach out and ask for help. Now you have to understand people might not help you, but you got to take that risk and mm-hmm. and ask for it. And so I made people's decisions for them. Oh, they're not gonna help me. Oh, that one's not gonna help me. Blah 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 blah. blah. I made people's uh. decisions for them. And listen, I almost paid too big a price for that. And I would just say to anybody out there, listen, get past that. Make yourself vulnerable because uh you, chances are you have people that would move heaven and earth for you. Adam and Chris, I literally had friends who would have lined up a year's worth of preaching to come preach at my church Mm -hmm. to give Mm -hmm. me a break. I mean, they, they would have, they would have helped me financially. They would have sent us to counseling. They would have done anything. And instead I just went down and, and listen, part of my nature is what makes me driven to go pastor a church plant a church somewhere where I don't know anybody. And it it, it helps me to have that grit to, you know, pastor mm-hmm. a church and four kids and a special needs son. But yeah. we've also got to realize that some of those parts that make you a good leader could also cause you to crash and burn and become yeah. a ministry statistic. So you you got to know, <laughs> you got to know yourself. Yes. And at this point, I did not.
1: And wow. so, yeah,
2: so, you're welcome. W-
1: yeah. <laughs> what does healthy help look like? Because mm-hmm. I've seen in some other aspects i've seen people ask for help right and then it's just kind of a conversation they were vulnerable but nothing actually transpired hmm. how how what does that look like to actually start to get help it's not just talking about it but help us with that
2: wow that is a that's a tremendous question what does healthy help look like i would say after 3 years of therapy <laughs> I can say that it really begins with you realizing, first of all, that, that you are not unredeemed and backslidden because you're insufficient, incomplete in yourself. And you got to know that as a help receiver. You have got to own it and say, I'm always going to be vulnerable in this life. In this jar of clay, I'm always going to need help. Yeah. And 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 if it doesn't begin there, uh, you're you're not gonna really be able to balance carrying your own knapsack, as 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 it says in one of the epistles. I'm slipping my mind, Galatians, I believe it is, where hey, listen, you carry your own knapsack here. You're not, you, you can't be codependent because you're gonna wear people out, and no one's gonna want to help you because they're carrying your knapsack and they got their own to own to carry. Um, versus, hey. Legitimately receiving help, and and I I, I know the for me uh, when I was able to realize my own brokenness and I saw the places that I legit needed help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was able to ask for it and ask for it from the right people. Mm-hmm. And um, just as an example, here recently, um, I, I I went through a season after about three years senior pastoring here where. I could tell I was experiencing some burnout symptoms and and I did not want to go to the church board and elders and ask them for help. I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that helped me is because of my great mistake before. And I did, I said, guys, I need about a month away from the pulpit. I I just, I do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were, Yes, Pastor. Obviously, they know I'm not lazy. They know I'm yep. not asking them to carry me on a knapsack. I've got credibility there. So yep. I think that balance of having credibility for the fact that you're you're not being uh, you're not being codependent, right. um, but you legit need help and and the the asker to know how to articulate it. And listen, it was exactly what I needed, and it helped mm. me so much.
3: Mm. So it is
2: not. I don't want to minimize it. It, it is a complex thing to ask and receive that kind of help. But guys, listen, it's worth leaning into and really working this out because we all need each other we'll forever, forever. So, you'll so go to man. heaven having yeah. needed one another in the body of Christ.
1: You yes. know, it's amazing is we jeopardize the longevity of the mission for the immediacy of like the needs around us. And we lie to ourselves and say, we can't not help these people. We can't not do this and this and this and this and this and realize that you can't pour out of an empty picture. We have to fill that picture up in order to serve. So I, I love that. Like, where were you down the road? Ago, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm learning this too. I, I think as we serve and help people and in, are in this business and, and seeing men like you have learned this and try to learn that from people but I think it's, it's that humility, knowing that we're not Jesus.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And even Jesus had to yes. sleep, you know, and Jesus <laughs> had to do things that, <laughs> that were human.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: I, I love that, what you're saying.
0: So you, you took this three-year break. At the time, you didn't know how long it was going to be, but you mentioned you knew it had to be long-term. Mm-hmm. You got some counseling. You went home. Was home your, your parents' church? Yes. Okay. Okay. So you went home. That obviously required humility.
3: Did.
0: And did you seek uh, accountability, like fellow um, ministers, friends? Who were some other people that you connected with?
2: I am in a mentoring group uh, with about 10 pastors. That's so cool. And I find in a group like that, it there's it, you, usually a couple that you really connect with nice. um, in, in a special way. And I I would not be here without them
3: because Mm
2: -hmm. we get together a couple of times a year and Adam and Carissa, sometimes you've got to see people who have overcome and who say you can do it and you got to see it. And Mm -hmm. I remember I was stuck in a classroom teaching and I, I, I was not in vocational ministry. I was still preaching about once a month. I was still uh, in a leadership position at the church where I was volunteering here at my parents' church, but I was so bombarded by uh, feelings of worthlessness that you blew your only chance. You had yeah. great training, you had a great father, you, you have no excuse but your own. Mm. Um, and and you took that great opportunity and because of your own choices, you rammed it in the ground and that group would not let me think of myself that way. And I would get pulled back, and I would get, I would get pulled back under, and I was still. My son's um, epilepsy, his seizures, were a trigger for my depression, and I was still working wow. to try to, try to get over that. And I, I, I would take, you know, two steps forward, one step back, and and that group uh, helped me <laughs> to see. I would, I would look at them and their failures, and I would look at the, and they, they were still going though. And I would look and I knew their lives weren't perfect. And they had children, you know, who were wayward and they had financial problems and they had their own mistakes. And yet they were continuing to go on and they refused to let me um, believe that we were not going to rise from the ashes and be restored fully. And without them believing in me, I, because I, I I'd had no belief in, in myself and sometimes guys You got to have people that believe in you for yourself. And Um, I, it's just the grace of God really. Uh, mm -hmm. And that group, I have a chapter on it in my book that um, I'm eternally grateful for them.
1: That's That's beautiful. And it's what stands out to me in, in what you said there is that like the group was vulnerable enough for you to see their mistakes. And know that they got over that and that gave you in turn faith that, hey, we're going to get through this. Yes. Wow. 100%. Yeah.
0: You ended up transitioning back into pastoral ministry at some point. Can you share how that took place and how you knew that you were ready?
2: (laughs) That's a great question. Because even when I got well, about two years after resigning and coming home. I felt well, and the Lord let me feel good for about a year before breaking the news to me that (laughs) I was called to be a pastor because he's like, remember, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, After, you know, after about a year or so, I, I, I really started peeling back the layers of I thought if it, if I go home and I, I sit there and I'm around my support system and, and I'm not preaching for a while and I'm not leading, I'll, I'll just perk right back up. And it might take a minute, but that's all it'll take, just out of the pulpit, out of leadership for a while. Man, I had so many layers that God was wanting to pull back that I was not aware of. So about a year in, I I, I was not better. I was, I was not. And I came home to my wife and said, I need help. I think I'm going to go to therapy. And she did not argue with me. <laughs> she <laughs> she uh, said, okay. And so, man, after about a year of pulling back the layers and, and, and taking personal responsibility for myself, the beautiful thing about that, though, is when you take personal responsibility, you're able to self-differentiate. And you're able to develop your own concept of who you are in Christ without other people telling you who you are. And um, thankfully, my therapist was such a great Christian man who had such a leaning of the such a belief in the grace of God, that for the first time, I was able to confess my brokenness and also feel the love of God simultaneously. Mm -hmm. 38 years old, I've been raised in an apostolic home, and that was the first time I really understood I'm broken and God loves me fully, fully, not, not some, you know, pared down love that he gives us people who are depressed and who have made mistakes and who can't see their way and who have lost their way with him. No, he loves me completely. Mm. And that power of confession was a a life-changing moment. And, And through that, I began to get spiritually well. And so, but I was not pastoring again. I, I knew I was not pastoring. I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle the stress. It broke me. And I, I just didn't have the ability. And I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna let people down again. I felt like mm-hmm. I let people down and they looked to me and, and I couldn't take that risk. <laughs> and that
0: what will oh. people think issue was probably pervasive from the beginning yeah. of your pastoralship through the transition. And
1: identity was taking really probably took a hit. Mm -hmm. Oh, for all,
2: for those of you who might be considering resigning, uh, that need to be prepared, your identity will take a hit, as you said, Mm -hmm. and it could be the best thing that could happen to you, but you you be prepared, however, to do some serious inner work and just On that, when I got back into pastoral ministry, it was an absolute disaster.
3: Hmm. The,
2: it was the worst. It was a, it was a church split. It was terrible. It was heartbreaking. And if I had not been rebuilt with my identity, secure in Christ, Hmm. completely destroyed me.
3: Hmm. Completely.
2: So that I, we pastors have identity problems <laughs> because we often get them from people who need us. And that is a drug, man. I mean, it's a, and I don't, I am i don't need to be needed. Even with that though, people look up to you and you, it's a drug. And the yeah. problem with that is you are not who people say you are or need you. And you are who Christ says you are. And, and mm-hmm. his is the only secure identity. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you though, that will stand up to any thing. That'll stand up to sick children. That'll stand up to you broke and you don't know where your paychecks coming from. That'll stand to a, to a church split where you're rejected by people who you, you respect the most. Uh, It will stand up to your own faults and failures. Mm. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know what? I was the choir at 38 and yeah. I thought I knew this and I didn't. So I would just yeah. encourage you to listen, God may be at work with something far greater. And uh, that identity is an issue. But man, what a beautiful thing on the other side of it, because it's so secure. It really is. Sorry for rambling there.
1: But um, no, that's
0: powerful. Uh, We need to hear more of that. message.
1: Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: What now that you have been pastor, how long have you been pastoring now? Do you want me this to it.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay, so sorry, I, I I rambled, but I've been pastoring now for oh my goodness, uh, four years, and one of those was a vocational year of assistant pastoring. Okay, but uh, I remember God, God really started knocking on my door about pastoring, and and I I, I knew, I just began to know through repeated conversations with the lord when the, when i was kind of avoiding it that you have been called to carry the burden of pastoring and as a part of you that will never like it
3: mm-hmm.
2: you will never like going to church going to bed with the church on your shoulders
3: mm-hmm. you'll never
2: like being on call 24/7 for your entire career as a pastor now i do have boundaries and but the reality is if someone has a tragedy I, it doesn't matter how tired i am it doesn't matter how inconvenient that is part of you jathan that doesn't like being a public figure too bad yeah. <laughs> uh you've been called yeah. to do that this whole idea that you don't want to be a pastor again because you might disappoint people again uh because you don't trust your you, you're you're a little bit skittish of yourself and holding up guess what every Man and woman of God who has done anything good in the kingdom had those insecurities, and guess it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apostle Paul, anybody? Thorn in the <laughs> flesh?
3: So, yeah. yes.
2: Once God worked me through all that, I knew I had to talk to my wife about it.
0: Mm-hmm. How did
3: she say?
2: <laughs> uh, once again, a chapter in the book. Uh, but mm-hmm. she, she um, was very reticent because she saw what it did to me. And Mm -hmm. she wondered about my ability to to stand up to it. And she did not want to see me go into depression again. She did not, as a woman looking for that security of family, we had four kids. Mm -hmm. She did not want to see our family be taken down, you know, that path again. And so we had a nice long conversation that was spontaneous, but it was at the World War II Museum restaurant. (laughs) in New Orleans on a, uh, I, it was one of our birthdays. We were, so we were kind of laid back and it just happened at a restaurant. And okay. we stayed there for about two or three hours talking. Wow. And it was mm-hmm. a special unplanned moment in marriage where she had to look in my eyes and know that I was not the same Jathan that was going back into this.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: she saw that I, I, it, it was the truth. Mm-hmm. that that I was well and that this was our calling. And look, we needed every bit of that conversation
3: mm-hmm.
2: that first year because it was the worst year and a half in ministry I have ever been a part of, bar none. But man, we never wavered. And now these last two years have been the absolute most joyful Mm. Times in ministry we have ever had. And so, wow. anybody out there who feels like it's over, l- look, lean into that feeling, do what you have to do with it. But I'm just telling you, it's not over. You will have your greatest days ahead if you allow the Lord to take this darkness and transform you because we learn lessons in the darkness that the light will never, ever teach us.
0: Mm. You talk about that, you you talk about it being the wilderness moments and how the wilderness
1: forms character,
0: deepens our, yeah, our character. How can you speak a little bit on that? You know, some people think that they can really just go to the next level without going through the wilderness.
1: Yeah. Can they? And how do you experience joy where you are right now? Like after having been through the wilderness, that's <laughs> beautiful.
2: It is one of the great ironies um, in spirituality in our walk with God. It is just an irony that you will have to get used to because some of the greatest sources of joy come from the deepest hurts that God has wallowed out inside of you. And uh, you know, I, it was uh, Jerry Sitzer who wrote in uh, A Grace Disguise where he, he lost his mother, his daughter, and his mom in one car accident.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he, he talks about the enlargement of the soul. And we would like for our soul to be enlarged by, by you know, amazing services like we just had with Joel Ursham <laughs> that were so <laughs> lit as the kids say and and, and deep and I mean they were great they were tremendously spiritual yeah that's a part of how God ministers to you but man and I'm going to speak to those who are in it right now because those who are not I understand your journey is your journey and I I don't want to you know create a black cloud over your life but those who are in it right now often it's not something you are doing wrong but at an altar long ago, you said, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me with tears rolling down your face. And that was real. Yeah. Guess what? God's answering your prayer.
3: Mm.
2: And he sees that this broken world doesn't need a good sermon that's just been st- studied, and, and you're you're a good writer or communicator, and you can deliver a good, you know, self-help speech and throw some Bible verses on it. But mm. he needs virtue to flow out of you, because that is what heals the brokenness of this world, and to do that, it's got to come from a, a well and a place that God and his sovereignty is in charge of hollowing out in you. He's in charge of that stuff, so he knows how to lead you, and Jerry Sitzer's theory, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is that troubles can narrow us and and they can narrow our soul and make us cynical and how many pastors ministers do you know who are just flat out angry and they're not any help because they got hurt and bitter or church people like stuff you went through and they went through hurt and they're just bitter and they backslide and go make YouTube videos about church abuse you know and <laughs> yeah. and other narrowed people go and follow them i don't want to minimize that hurt but if i could say to those people it's just narrowing you but if if instead you'll fall on the altar by his grace and just God wants to enlarge your soul. And what an enlargement does is it says, man, I'm hurting so badly, but Lord, I'm going to let you stretch me and I'm going to feel this grief. I'm not going to run from this grief, but I'm going to feel every ounce of it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel this pain and this anger and I'm going to do like David and I'm going to bring it all in throw it at your feet, God, and yell at you and complain about how this is unfair, but I'm not going to do it outside of your presence. I'm going to have it out with you, God. That is, that's allowing God to enlarge you. Guess what happens with that grief and that sorrow? (laughs) At some point in time, weeping may endure for a night, but when joy comes in the morning, now you got more of it. When the anointing comes, now you got more of it. Uh, when, when empathy is needed for someone who just lost their child, you got way more empathy. And so such often is the journey for those who want to be used by God is the darkness is where you get that enlargement of the soul. But that else is what mm. not only changes you, but truly transforms those to whom you minister. So
1: good.
0: Well said.
1: Wow. Well, I've got a lot out of this mm-hmm. today, and it's so mm-hmm. good. You're preaching. Um, exactly. Where can people <laughs> find a book? Because you have put this all down, um, studied this out, and given some a gift to people going through stuff right now. Could you tell us a little bit about your book? I wrote the book
2: about a year and a half ago, I think. I was sitting at General Conference of the United Pentecostal Church, and during a business session, and my brain was wondering, my mind was wondering. And I felt that I had been pastoring full time for three years at that moment. So I felt like I had a sample size of someone who had burned out completely, thought it was over, got back into it, had enough evidence to say, no, you can do this again because I felt like I was doing well. So I I felt the Lord tell me, all right, <laughs> Jathan. Not asking you to repay me for all that I've done for you. I'm not asking for you don't have receipts on all the grace and mercy, uh, but I am asking you to write this book and give hope to those who are suffering in silence. And so I that was the genesis of writing the book. I wrote it memoir style, so it would be a story that mm-hmm. people self help. I get a little. I, I, I read a lot, and I read a lot of self help, but. I didn't want it to be self-helpy. I wanted it to be a story (laughs) where there were universal experiences for people to apply Mm
3: -hmm. their
2: own experience. And I have found that that has been the feedback as people identify with these experiences because they're human experiences. They're not Jathan experiences. And uh, that's probably been one of the greatest um, joys I've gotten from the book is that people who uh are in silence a lot of times suffering it's 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 been a it's been a connection to them where they felt like that they could raise their hand and go man you know what i can make it and and i can get help because sometimes we just need that we just need that 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 push in the right direction and you can go to jathanmarcelli.com and click the shop link and buy your copy today for only
1: $16.99.
3: <laughs> That'll
1: be the best $16.99 that you've ever spent. Yes. If you're going through this, hear this, DYMC fam, go and get that book. Yeah. It's 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 such great uh, wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I could just hear it right now, and I'm sure if there's just I'm sure there's a lot more even in the book. Oh, yeah. Go and buy it.
0: We will link that in the show notes for anyone who's listening. And they're like, how do I spell (laughs) Marisali? Just go to the show notes, click the link, and you can go get his book on his website. We're going to close out this episode the way that we close out all of our episodes. And that's by asking you this question. Rewind back to the first couple years of your marriage. How long have you been married now?
2: 20 years. 20. As of like two months ago, we went skiing Congrats. for our 20th.
3: Oh, I love it. For Amazing. the first
2: time, and we've lived to tell the story, although <laughs> the left Achilles and the right knee are still barking at me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> had a bad fall.
0: So, rewind back 20 years ago and ask yourself, what advice do I wish I would have received? And fill in the blank. Dear young married couple,
2: Dear young married couple, God is sovereign the same sovereign God that put you together in that serendipitous yet spiritual way is going to guide you through whatever you're going through now and in the future. Mm -hmm. And you can trust that if He puts you together, all the hurt you might be going through or the questions, the confusion, and, you know, at your age, you... You know when you're young you might be wondering about children maybe struggling having children or uh, maybe you're trying to get a leg up in this awful economy trying to buy a home and you can't get first time home by whatever it is that you're struggling with the sovereign god who put you together he is good at being god it's like david said when he's standing there in the cave and saul's out there ready to kill him yet david's anointed And he just threw his hands up and said, to the God who performs all things for me. And what that meant was, God dots every I and crosses every T in my life. Mm
3: -hmm. He has the
2: final say. Whatever you go through, guys, that sovereign God, he will work all things together for the good. Even (laughs) the burnout seasons Mm -hmm. of your life.
0: Beautiful. Hear it.
3: Thank you so so much. Thank you.
0: We appreciate your wisdom.